Welcome to our noontime webinar. I'm Dr. Jill Brooks, Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we're here to help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, be it a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. For these webinars, we bring experts in from around the country to cover a variety of compliance topics. We are so pleased to have Yvette Durazo presenting Bulletproof Technique to Prevent Hostility at Your Workplace. Yvette is a conflict resolution expert and is the founder of Unitive Consulting and as an adjunct professor for the National University and the School General Council of the Judiciary in Mexico, where she teaches online and classroom courses in communication and conflict management, alternative dispute resolution, ethics, neutrality, conciliation, and mediation. She has worked alongside board of directors, corporate representatives, political representatives, students, and educators. She is the tri-chair for the spirituality sector for the Association of Conflict Resolution. Her upbringing in the United States and Mexico border has given her a great cultural awareness that serves her when working with businesses that have a diverse representation. She draws from her life and work experiences, empathy, intuition, and wisdom to work with her clients. Yvette links business outcomes to leadership development, resulting in meaningful and effective changes for both clients and their organizations. Before we begin the presentation, I just want to let you know that the copy of her slides are available in the handout section of your control panel. Your Paycom CEU certificates will be automatically emailed to you within 24 hours. Please enjoy this presentation. Yvette? Thank you very much for inviting me. So I am going to go ahead and get ready and uh, welcome everybody. Um, I am from California, so we're in distinctive time zone. So here it's still morning, and I believe that where you guys are at, it's already lunchtime. So enjoy your lunch while enjoying the presentation. What are we going to learn today? So today we're going to learn about the cost of conflict in companies. We're going to talk about about hostility, bullying, and we're going to cover a little bit about uh, sexual harassment as well. So to distinguish, what is the difference between all of these and when is it important for you guys to pay attention uh, when you can stop any legal uh, situation going into the wrong way and costing the company a lot of money. What is the harmful effects of these type of behaviors in your company? And I'm going to show you some bulletproof strategies and, and techniques that you can utilize in order for you to um, be able to become more conflict competent in your company. And if you have any questions, um, I would suggest that you would send them over. I'm going to put up my email at the end. Uh, of the slides and that way you can send me any questions that you wish or you can send it to um, directly to Jill. Conflict in the workplace. Back in 2008 there was a study done by the consultants of psychology press and the stunning um, outcome of these, uh, of these studies showed that for employees there was about a 0.28 hours of work in where people were dealing just with conflict. That amounts to over $358 billion. And we're just talking about individuals that are being paid between $18 the hour. 
So you can imagine, you know, within the stream stuff, manager supervisors and HR that earn more, how much money is really lost when there's conflict in the workplace. More alarming, it shows that these statistics that over 25% of the employees said that in order to avoid conflict, they will either, you know, call in sick or really get sick or be absent at work. Another uh, alarming uh, statistic shows that 10% of the uh, workplace conflict lead to project failure. And a lot of times, conflict can lead, you know, the company to go downside. More than one-third of the employees said that conflict resulted in someone leaving either the company, either by them deciding to move on and losing a person with good resources and training that you have already given, or possibly being fired or just quitting along the process. So that is very alarming for you to think about how is it that conflict at the workplace really affect um, and why is it that it's important to be addressed. The bottom line, the reality is that when we talk about companies' bottom line, we're talking about what is it that at the end of the day companies are really gaining or, or losing. The bottom line is that when companies do not address conflict, in, in the appropriate way, companies really lose a lot of money. Preventative, you know, the hidden cost of conflict. A lot of companies do not realize that there's conflict and it's hidden because of the way people act upon conflict. You know, you have a high level of turnover, you know, high level of training costs because you're bringing new staff and training them. And imagine how much it costs the HR department to fire or get rid of a person and then bring somebody new. The time that it takes, the number of hours, um, the, the training that that new person needs to have. You know, high sick days um, utilization, um, you know, human resource involvement whenever there's conflict. And, um, you know, contacting, you know, corporate legal departments that cost quite a lot of, a lot of money, um, you know, usually per hour, an attorney will charge between 200 to 300 to 400, and that is just an estimate about how much it will cost, because sometimes when HR departments are not equipped with the right tools except their policies and procedures, they immediately turn it on to an attorney, because Sometimes they don't know that, you know, there's conflict resolution specialists or mediators that can, you know, minimize the cost by helping uh, resolve conflict at a level of the relationship of the individuals. So we're going to be talking about the facility of the work environment and what is it that it is and so that you can identify it because a lot of people do not understand exactly what it is. You know what uh, behavior, negative behavior looks like, but sometimes it's so subtle that people do not either pay attention or just they don't want to get involved. And that's why I'm showing the, the statistics so that you can realize how important that it is that you can identify it and be able to be proactive. You know, that is just actually the main technique here, aside from the other strategies that I'm going to show you.
reasonable hostility at work. You know, in California, you have to look. I know that everybody here in the in the webinar might be from a different state. Um, you have to look into your State Department of Labor or the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission just to to really identify whether any laws have changed. But just as an example, here in California, in in 2015, the sexual harassment training that's supposed to be given to supervisors, that it's about a two-hour supervisor training, has uh, been expanded to add preventative uh, of abusive conduct, hostility in the work environment. So you have to look into your own um, state departments of labor and identify whether there has been any other changes but it's coming along. I know that uh, little by little there's an organization that is very strong advocating for these changes to come about. Nevertheless, in California, there's no law that it was adopted in the workplace regarding bullying and workplace civility law. It, that, you know, it doesn't mean that there's a specific law regarding those two particular issues and we're going to give you examples in a little bit for that you can understand when is it that it's unlawful and when is it that is um, not unlawful but nevertheless it's something that you don't want in your company because in reality it costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of stress and a lot of energy instead of going into productivity. Um, under the Federal Employment and Housing Act, harassment is illegal only when it's when it's in conjunction with certain protected categories. And that's, like I said, an example coming from the area of California. What are the protected categories? If I were to be in an audience, I would ask people who in, in the audience would be under this category and a lot of people will say that they are in these categories except for probably for the millennium uh, but most of you uh, would be in many of these categories that was a very strong noise example of abuse conduct and hostility at work environment well everybody would uh, probably think that they might have an idea but it's about Possibly having one individual or several individuals at the workplace or in several departments that are often found in a very hostile way. It is not necessarily directed to one individual, but it might be that it's creating a hostile environment throughout the company. You know, and it's being disrespectful, and you know ridiculing people. You can go through the list. Uh, repeated assaults, insults, personal attacks, um, spreading gossip, lies, um, you know, excluding people from um, meetings, freaking shouting, yelling, being angry, um, invalid personal, you know, invading personal space and sabotaging people in order not to perform in the best possible way. Uh, false accuse about the work errors. You know, those could be, you know, some of the hostile environments and you can go through other lists of other ones that you might think of. 
but these are some of them that I wanted to uh, give you an example and, and inform you that these hostile environment um, behaviors might not be directed only to one person, might be directed to a lot of people in the workplace environment. And, and, and it really affects the morale of people and your productivity. And like I said, you know, it goes on and on until people can get sick and not wanting to go to work. Workplace bullying, it's, it's a little bit different. This is more directly more into one particular person. It is one individual creating a very hostile environment for one particular person. And um, it is repeatedly and is healthily harming, uh, mistreating one person. And it is, uh, and it's constant. You know, how can we identify or detect bullying? You know, it could be that you, you yourself might be involved or you might be one doing this uh, type of activity to other people or you might have observed uh, in your environment at work people that have been involved in bullying. It could be by verbal abuse, uh, constant criticism, you know, offensive behavior, nonverbal behavior, just you know, a lot of people can just not use words, act upon nonverbal behavior to treat somebody in a very bad way, humiliating, um, intimidating uh, an individual. Um, again, sabotaging somebody from their work and yelling at them in front of other people or independently in their office, spreading rumors, lies. Uh, you know, being avoiding individuals, not inviting them to meetings. Bullying itself, <clears throat> it is about only not one act. You know, harassments can be one act and or here and there sporadically. You know, maybe one person has a certain type of uh, personality behavior or ways of dealing with their their staff that once and sporadically might be uh, hostile uh, or maybe the whole time but with regards to bullying it's more that it is constantly being done and it's to one individual person it is not just a one-time thing so that is the difference between hostile environment and bullying and then um, Obviously, workplace bullying, you know, costs a lot of money. You know, it, although that it is not illegal, you know, it does affect um, it does affect the environment, and it can fall depending on the on the on the new laws that are coming and expanding. It can fall into one of those categories that can lead to a um, illegal uh, illegal situation. So um, just to be careful. And then touching about very minimal, a lot of us already know what sexual harassment might be about. Um, obviously, it's an unwanted, unwelcome, visual, verbal, uh, or physical conduct that involves sexual-based uh, of any kind or sexual nature. Um, request sexual favors, uh, offensive third-party conduct, which uh, you know, which is to the victim uh, that is subject to the victim. So, 
Um, I just wanted to touch bases with regards to what is the overall um, area of hostility in the environment so that you guys will have an understanding and be clear about. Let's not forget that, you know, hostility, uh, bullying, and sexual harassment, it's not only in, in a physical way. It can happen, you know, through email, through texting, through instant messaging. You know, some companies have, you know, the instant messaging where people can communicate. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. You know, um, people can do these things even in the cyberspace and still be considered uh, hostile, bullying, or sexual harassment. So I uh, just wanted to point that out that it does exist. Um, the fact that people do this, and I have seen cases that people do this on, you know, in the cyberspace. Once again, I wanted to create an illustration based on your state uh, legislator and, and how is it that uh, the Sexual Harassment um, Act either has been expanded or not. But just uh, be aware that uh, that is going to continue to be uh, promoted along the way. So if you have, for example, sexual harassment and then you have a, a you know, discrimination, um, remember those categories that I was telling you about? That immediately can be illegal. You know, once again, workplace harassment and then you have the discrimination. You know, the, the more it goes into those categories, the stronger the, um, the force that it goes towards showing in a legal setting, you know, the, that is, uh, you know, something that it's illegal. So just wanted to give you an illustration of how is it that it can uh, be so harmful. And, and, and it's better for companies to really say no to hostility, to the environment uh, of any type of hostility, bullying, sexual harassment. You know, employers, managers, supervisors should just not tolerate that type of conduct and, and make it unwelcome. Um, you know, it all starts with the higher level people and then, of course, um, uh, no employers, manager, and supervisor should encourage or, or tolerate any type of behavior of bullying in, work, in the workplace. Um, and also that goes to employees, you know, um, but obviously you have your upper level managers that are the ones that are setting up the example, right? Uh, but that shouldn't be done because it, in, in the end of the day, it's very costly. And sometimes that cost, it's hidden. It doesn't show on the ledgers of the budgets, but it's, it is hidden because, um, you know, it only would take an expert to go and show them where is the money going when there is some type of facility or conflict in the workplace. Sometimes companies do not identify that there is something going on. Um, and it's very harmful. So what are the preventative ways that you can act upon uh, in order to um, avoid or prevent this type of hostility type of environments? One of the biggest suggestions is to go and review your um, or assess your policies or manuals and trainings, you know, and identify 
the you know the personal or the business risk of abuse conduct. You know, talk about it among your supervisors, your managers. Talk about it. How is it that indeed it is a hidden cost, but in reality it affects productivity. And at the end of the day, we want companies to be successful. We want companies to have a good culture in where people would go in and work to their best in order for the company to do well. Um, you know, write comprehensive abusive conduct policies so that people would fully understand um, the behaviors that go into, into, into that. Sometimes people do not know it. Sometimes people, they're just the way they are because of their personality style or maybe because that's the way that they have always acted and they probably might not know that that shouldn't be done at work. Develop effective anti-bullying prevention trainings or a conflict resolution system with your HR department. What I mean with conflict resolution systems is that most companies, um, whenever there's a big conflict or whenever there's conflict, they funnel the conflict to the HR department. HR department utilize their policies and, and procedures in order to uh, sustain or avoid the conflict to go anywhere. If, if nothing happens there, then they call the, the, the legal counsel of the company. Meaning a conflict resolution system, it would be very distinctly. It would be a process in where there's more um, a human side of, of dealing with the conflict, possibly bringing a mediator into the company, possibly having individuals trained differently, not in policies and procedures, but in conflict resolution techniques in order to work upon, you know, the actual human side of the conflict and, and, and figure it out, you know, what best to do and how to resolve the relationships prior to getting into the HR and prior to going into the console of legal consoles. Um, giving employees real life examples of behavior so that they'll know uh, what not to tolerate. Update your policies and trainings. Once again, like I said, you know, social media, talk about it in your policies and procedures, iPad, mobile media devices, harassment, free of speech, cultural discrimination. Uh, nowadays, we have, you know, a variety of transgender issues, um, and, and that should be also uh, considered in the policies and trainings that we have a diverse variety of, of uh, sexual orientation and, and we should be very respectful of that. And then we have uh, millenniums uh, working. Sometimes we have teenagers coming into the workplace and then we have the millenniums that have a very distinct way of looking at things, a very distinct way of working with other people that are from distinct uh, generations. And then uh, bullying, bullying and violence in, um, in the policies should also be um, included in there or in your trainings. The strategies for conflict prevention. Now we're going to be talking about the strategies of how to prevent uh, uh, conflict at work. Um, well, first of all, 
not all the conflict is bad. Usually when I'm talking in, in an audience, I ask the question, is conflict really bad? In reality, there's good conflict and there's bad conflict. And what does good conflict look like? Well, for example, you might be working in a project management group and there might be certain conflict with regards to ways of coming with ideas of how to better off uh, or better take off the product or service or program that they have. And there might be a good conflict. And good conflict comes about people bringing in their opinions, bringing in ideas, bringing in ways of uh, figuring things out in a group way. So that could be good conflict. Good conflict can also be raising certain certain conflict that probably is hidden so that it could be acknowledged, it could be addressed, and it could be worked upon. That could be good conflict. And obviously everybody knows what that conflict is. You know, the characteristics of that conflict could be obviously people gelling to each other, facility, bullying, um, sexual harassment, any any of that type of uh, behaviors that we already talked about in the previous slides that I show you. Conflict in your daily life. Everybody has conflict in your daily life. You know, it could be at home and it could be at work, right? And what is it cost? You know, conflict. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good role models in in helping us to deal with conflict. You know, if we look at the society, if we look at, you know, all of the shows that we see in TV, especially the reality shows, we are constantly seeing people escalating conflict, fighting among each other, and we don't have good role models. Usually, professional people, anybody in the streets, gain their conflict resolution skill sets by socially transmitting process, meaning that they learn conflict resolution possibly from their parents, from their teachers, or somebody that they have observed. How is it that they have resolved conflict? A lot of people do not even ask themselves, how do I resolve conflict? And I want to pause here so that you can ask yourself that question. How do you usually resolve conflict? Some of you might have already taken classes in conflict resolution or, or possibly taking classes in, in emotional intelligence or other leadership programs that might touch upon certain behaviors and, and certain skill sets that might help you deal with communication with people or dealing with conflict, but not a lot of people. And a lot of us just utilize whatever we have used in the past and then we grow up with that and then we bring it into the workplace. A lot of these techniques are not being taught in many academic um, fields. There are uh, certain certificate programs uh, now that we call alternative dispute resolutions, and I happen to have a master's degree specifically in negotiation and conflict resolution and peace building, but nevertheless, this is not being taught in school, and this should be taught in school because it's one of the uh, main uh, skills that 
me going to a lot of HR roundtables and associations, that's one of the skill sets that they see that it's missing in a lot of people. So what is conflict? cost you. It can cost you relationship, it can cost you money, affects productivity, affects your health. You know, you have inner conflict that it's right inside of you and then you have outer conflict. People that have inner conflict and they don't address the conflict show up in outer conflict. Um, those are things to think about. So conflict perceptions, you know, conflict itself, it's all about how you perceive things. And, um, you know, when, when I train people, I teach them about how is it that, you know, their perceptions are the ones that are creating the conflict. You know, conflict can be either about perceived needs. You know, somebody has a perceived need that they need something. And I love to give an example about two chefs in a kitchen trying to uh, create, one is creating a salad, the other one is creating a, a a cake and all of a sudden there's only one orange and those two chefs need that orange in order to develop the um, items in the kitchen that they're developing one a salad and the other one a cake so all of a sudden somebody comes in into the kitchen and that could be probably a mediator or a conflict specialist we can say that and ask the chef ask one chef so we understand that there's only one orange. What is it that you need the orange for? Well, the chef that is doing the salad says, well, I need the orange because I need the juice of the orange in order to make the dressing of the salad. And then that third person goes to the other chef and said, so what is it that you need the orange for your, your, your cake that you're making? Well, basically, I need the orange just for the outside outside of the orange in order to give a cyst of the orange taste for the cake. So sometimes we have certain perceived needs and we fight for those needs instead of really identifying what is it exactly the need is. Is it only about our perception of what we need or is it about, you know, about, about the reality of what we need? There's also goals. You know, we have certain perceived goals, and we see that very often in groups, in teams, where some people have certain goals and where they want to take the group or lead the group, and some other people have certain goals. And they're perceived goals because nobody has talked about them. They have not shared them with each other, and they have come to conclusions of where is it that they're going to be leading, you know, the, the goals and, and setting the goals so that they can go in a, in a certain direction. We also have styles of uh, perception that comes about because of your personality. There's a, a great uh, personality style system that I use where I teach conflict resolution to people by understanding people's personality styles. It is not only about learning about yourself, it's also about learning the styles about other people. Um, what I always tell people that I teach and, and my students is that you have to become a conflict resolution competent person in order to be able to act upon resolving conflicts outside of yourself. Because if you do not know how to do that yourself, you're not going to be able to 
resolve other conflicts. And then we have stressors. We have stressors at home, we have stressors at work, and that precipitates conflict. We start seeing conflict everywhere because we're dealing with so much stress. We have conflicting work roles. Sometimes there we have individuals in certain roles at work that might be conflicting and it could be for many reasons. It could be because of their personality styles that they're not a good fit for that role or it could be because they don't have the skill sets or they might not be in the right team with the right environment. And then we have ways of thinking, you know, which is our perception, right? So think about you know, all of that. Well, different ways people deal with conflict. These are the ways people deal with conflict. And let me tell you from the beginning that none of these are the best ways to deal with conflict. And usually when we have um, the ability to have audience speak, I ask questions. But I'm going to give you examples. When people avoid conflict, they avoid conflict thinking that the conflict is going to go away and conflict does not go away and sometimes people that avoid conflict avoid it so well that in their behavior of avoiding people can be perceived very differently like people don't care about the situation or you know they're just afraid and they can position themselves in, a, in, a, in such a way that that behavior of avoiding can, can be very catastrophic. There's obviously sometimes that you should be avoiding conflict. Obviously, if you have uh, a big animal coming after you and obviously you're afraid, you know, you should avoid conflict, okay? But not when it comes to certain uh, uh, human behavior conflict. Um, and especially at the workplace, you know, you, you should not constantly be an avoider. Sometimes people divert conflict. Again, you know, it's not a, a particular a perfect way to do that. Some people deny conflict thinking, you know, again, it's going to go away. Some people like to discuss the conflict. And if they're not very well skilled, they can escalate conflict to a level that it can be worse. People try to accommodate in conflict, and actually that is not an, a, a good way either. People might think, well, accommodating would be, would be a good thing. Not necessarily, because if that is your style of dealing with conflict, accommodating at the end of the day, you're going to feel like you're losing something in order to get, or you're giving up something in order for things to go well. And eventually, people start building in, in, internally. They start building um, um, resentment, and then eventually, it's not it's not a good thing. Some people try to resolve conflict, and you might think, well, why is that on the list? Um, just to give you an example, you know, some of you that have partners at home, um, have you ever? Uh, have a situation where your other partner comes with a problem and then all of a sudden you immediately jump in and resolve the conflict. So what is the reaction of the other person? 
sometimes the reaction of the other person is that they get upset because you're resolving the conflict for them and you're not taking them into consideration in resolving the, the situation. Maybe it is that people just want to vent, people just want to be heard, and you jump into resolving conflict. Resolving conflict involves the people that are involved. People have the ability to resolve their own conflict. It is just a matter of guiding them and helping them to manage it. Not all the conflict can be resolved. I would lie to you if I were to tell you every single conflict can be resolved. It can be managed and it can be resolved. But it, it takes skill sets in order to learn how to manage conflict. So here are the uh, conflict styles and behaviors that most likely people have. Think about which of these styles you usually um, go for. And I can definitely send you an uh, assessment at the end of the slides when you see my email. You're welcome to send me an email and I will send you an assessment so that you can identify which of these areas are your most predominant styles of conflict. Some people might say that at work they have a certain style of conflict and then outside of work that they have a certain level of, of conflict styles. Let me show you that, the, for example, if you are a, a, a competitive, competitive can be a good trait in, 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 a, in, a, in a behavior, especially if it's not in a very high level of competition. We want certain type of competition in team building. We want certain type of competition when, when we're working towards a project. We want some, some type of level. But at the higher we go into the left-hand side and go, we go higher, you know, and you go more and more assertive, it turns out to be uh, in a negative way. That's the same thing with avoidance right on the on the left hand side on the bottom. You know, like I said, there's certain there's certain positives in, in certain ways of avoiding certain things or certain conflicts. But the more you go into avoidance, the more it showed up into a behavior that people are perceiving you that you don't really care about certain things, certain behaviors. And, and the more you go into that stream, it's not a good thing. The same thing with accommodation, and we already talked about that. The more you go into the right-hand side of accommodation, it really doesn't work out because eventually you become resentful that you're accommodating and accommodating and accommodating all the time. The same thing goes with the upper level of problem solving. You know, the more you go into the streams, is not the best way because then you exclude people from owning the conflict, owning the resolution. The best way is to be able to understand the spectrum of the four quadrants here, the four areas, and be able to uh, be in the middle and compromise, to be cooperative, 
and it's about you understanding where do you fall into these categories. A lot of us, like I said, never ask that question. How, what is my conflict style? We don't even know. Some of you might know because you might have already taken some trainings or, or have thought about it, but this is your opportunity to think about what is your conflict style and how is it that your conflict style with your personality style shows up differently in your way of, of acting upon people and how people read you. So by understanding this, believe it or not, these are, this is a technique that could be so valuable because you can, you can work upon your different styles of dealing with conflict depending on the situation in order to be more collaborative and more, uh, and, you know, compromising and, and cooperative and be able to lead, you know, your projects and lead your work with better productivity instead of just thinking about conflict and, and minimizing your energy and focusing on that. I'm actually finishing up a little bit earlier than, 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 um, than an hour. I, I, I went very fast, but I just wanted to mention that if you have a need, you know, your organization has some needs of building some, uh, you know, better culture or need training, you're always welcome to look at my website. I encourage you to send me an email with questions that you might have, and I will definitely send you a, a, a conflict resolution style so that you know what is your predominant style and start thinking about how is it that you can start balancing um, your different areas of conflict styles. That will be very valuable for you as a technique. I hope that um, this webinar has been of a lot of value to you and you have learned uh, uh, good things. And I will definitely turn this on to um, Jill. Uh, thank you so much and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Yvette, for such a great discussion. Would you like to go ahead and put your contact information slide back up just in case people want to um, get that down? Um, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so, uh, please download her handout um, from the control panel. Please use her contact information that's on the screen to email her directly for questions, or you can always send your questions to us and we will forward them to Yvette. Please visit our website, 1STHCC.com, to see how First Healthcare Compliance can help streamline your compliance program. You can request a demo right there at our website, or you can contact us at info at 1STHCC.com or call us at 888-543-4778. Again, your Paycom CEU certificates will be emailed directly to you within 24 hours. Thank you very much for your attention.